Hey, you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing? You have trouble falling asleep? Well, welcome. I do believe you're in the right place. This is Sleep With Me. Well, this is Game of Thrones is proud to present Sleep With Me. Well, reverse that. I need a, I need freaking Gene Wilder. Somebody get Gene Wilder on the phone. Strike that. Reverse it. Game of... No, that says strike that and reverse it again. Sleep With Me is proud to present Game of Thrones, the pod, Game of Thrones podcast that puts you to sleep. And that was a mouthful. That's why I had to, you know, Skype in Gene Wilder. Uh, was it Eugene Wilder, unfortunately? But anyway, uh, I'm glad you're here. The way we do it is with the episode discussion of Game of Thrones. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights. But seriously, you need to turn out the lights. Uh, turn the lights down low because uh, it's, it helps with the melatonin functioning out of the skin. Uh, you know, cell uh, fusilies or whatever. What else called those hairs? Cilia, and 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 when I say metamorphosis of melatonin. So get in bed, turn out the lights, press play. I'm gonna do the rest. And what are we gonna do? We're gonna create a safe place. We can take a deep breath. We can put aside any racing thoughts, thinking thoughts, brain thoughts, brainy Smurf type. Ch- any Smurf. Whichever Smurf, because I don't know if you guys remember the Smurfs, but there was a lot of them, and or Gargamel or that freaking cat or any any of those people on that cartoon. If not, look it up. It was made by a, a wonderful old man named Peo. He was a wise man, I believe, and he crafted little plastic toys and made a cartoon about it or something. But whichever, all those Smurfs are the kind of not the kind of thing you want running through your brain at a at bedtime, except for, of course, snooze, snoozy Smurf or whatever uh, the Smurf was that slept a lot, dreamy, whatever. They ripped it off of the freaking uh, Walt Disney, I think, who ripped it off of Grimm, who ripped it off of freaking, uh, you know, Druid of Druid, Druid Town. So that's that's it. But what was the point? The point is that I'm going to distract you from both the part of your brain that might be like, that part of me that just went on and on and on. That's not making any sense. You're going to listen to my senseless banter instead of yours because mine's not important. And, and, and because I guess I'm not in your brain, you can tell it's not important. You can tell this is a little bit ridiculous. I mean, I just spent a few seconds talking about Smurfs. And I don't, you, you could probably tell I'm not an expert, even though I tried to fake it. And I'm sorry, I don't want to start out a new relationship, but that's that's who I am. But yeah, so... Clearly, but that part of your brain. So I'm going to distract you from that. You can take all those little Smurfs that your brain's been hoarding, all those little freaking rubber characters. Go ahead, pick them up, two handfuls, make one big handful, boom, throw them out of your bed, pitter-patter. They just all hit the floor at the bottom of your bed. Um, Okay, hold on. I'm going to use mind power. I'm sweeping them out of the way. So if you get out of bed at night, they won't be there. You won't step on them when you got to go to the bathroom. Otherwise, you can pick them up in the morning, you know, place them on your little Smurf display shelf. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't let people snicker. It's fine to have your Smurf display shelf. We all have something like that that gets us through the day. But that's the podcast, um, basically. 
And I'm glad you're here. I'm going to distract you. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to try to put you to sleep. I'm going to talk about Game of Thrones. Then I'm going to talk about the episode forever. And then um, I'll be, you know, I'll make some start be like, you know what I thought of is uh, how many teeth does you think Greyjoy has? Theon Greyjoy. You know, something. Why? What's up with the fillings? What are they made of? That's not going to happen this episode, but that'll be like that. Uh, if you want to come to our website, sleepwithmepodcast.com, you don't need the W's. Game of Thrones at drones episodes are at sleepwithmepodcast.com slash drones. Sounds, that sounded like a, a medicine commercial. Maybe uh, it'll make us about bloating, blah, blah, and we, leaky bladder. So, but this podcast shouldn't. It should just be game of sleepwithmepodcast.com slash drones. If you need to get a hold of me, it's feedback at sleepwithmepodcast. Go on Twitter. You can get a hold of me there, Facebook, whatever. I'm glad you're here. If this is your first time here, <sighs> yeah, um, maybe give it a couple tries. See if this helps you fall asleep or why it helps you wind down, whatever. If it doesn't, that's fine. Doesn't. There's no feelings to hurt here. I've uh, I've shut that part off of me and sealed it off like the cask of Amontillado or, or the cask of Amontillado, you know, the proper pronunciation. So that's it. Uh, we're going to move on to uh, um, Gratitude Express, which is – and then uh, we'll talk about the episode. How's that sound? I'm, I'm glad you're here, and I hope I can help you fall asleep. In all honesty, I do. Thanks. Because, you know, I, I've had trouble sleeping. If you, obviously, if you've been following me, this is my normal – I'd be doing this kind of stuff, but just be without a microphone. So Thanks. I'm glad you're here. Hey, Crone, Miller, Smith, Barkey, Jester. Uh, it's a Gratitude Express coming back into the station. Uh, I've had time to discern things, and we can talk about it later tonight at prayer time. But uh got to send out some gratitude that's powering this great locomotive. Uh, but in this case, the locomotive's being pulled by the train cars, God's. Let me lay that on you, a caboose, and the, you know some sort of thing. But that's really what's happening, because we got people in these, or maybe we got a bunch of engines, and I'm the caboose. Hey, but then there would be no passengers, gods, to end them. Or, 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 but maybe we're just on some journey, and we're not going. The Gratitude Express is kind of like the Snowpiercer train, just keeps going and going. I think. Because we, we got on this uh, thing, whatever whatever we're riding the rails with the posty posterson does our music. Sir Scott, Her Grace Jennifer, the Lord and Lady of the podcast, the defenestrator. He's in a tag team wrestling match. Watch over them. Everyone else that's involved. I want to thank um, Bobby Finger again, you know, and uh, the mysterious editor over at Matter. The mysterious editor I like to refer to to that who they just keep supporting us. I want to thank some new people we heard from. I want to thank Max. I want to thank Carolyn, Tara, Edita, Roger, Vanessa, Adrian, Adam, Jeremy, Raina, Lindsay, December, A White, Tisha. Gods, could you watch over them in a better way than you've been watching over, you know, what last couple of weeks? We'll just move on from that. 
uh, whatever this God stuff you do, these are the people I'm gratitude for. I'm not asking for anything for them. Because I've, you know, but I've been discerning thankfulness for all of those people that are supporting the podcast and saying hi, and, and especially the people I might have missed by accident. If any, I missed anybody, I want to thank the iTunes reviewers, December G, who says I'm like Mark Ruffalo, the boringest Mark Ruffalo that has ever been. So I'm like Bizarro Mark Ruffalo, though he's kind of he's kind of a chill dude, so. Uh, God's own, you, you guys at Barky, uh, you, you know, you're not going to get any Mark Ruffalo DVDs if, uh, I already paid, I already paid for those DVDs. Uh, so at this point, just keep them, the books, everything. We're going to Discernment City. I was there. Refresh starting it. I want to thank, uh, LJVJL, Lidge, Vich, 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 Vichla, uh, for her iTunes or his iTunes review. So it's taken 10 years to find something, This uh, and they get the ASMR response, uh, which is the, the brain-tangling thing, which I have Rick Steves used to do that for me a little bit, I think. Uh, I want to thank Aline Design, who said, thank you so much. Pat Al Green never made it to the end. Pat Al Green has a book out called Night Moves, folks. God's a uh, bark, y'all. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm putting the tree barky till uh, maybe Christmas. Do you even read? Do trees read? I don't know. Anyway, Pat's book, Ray, Ray, Rochelle, Rochelle, Rachel, Rochelle F. said the podcast whoop, changed your life. Uh, and uh, as an audio geek, appreciates that I don't sound terrible. Thank you. So boring in the best way. That's Cat. Thank you, Cat. Hodor says Sleepy Pastimer. Hodor to you. Thank you all for for your support. God, I'm just gratitude it, and I'm gratitude for for you up in there. We never determine if the Westeros gods are up 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 or out or um or whatever. Um, thanks for everything. My thank and thankfulness. So, uh, season two, episode three, can you believe it? 13, lucky number 13, What is Dead May Never Die is the name of the episode. What is Dead May Never Die. And, uh, oh, by the way, I, I wanted to start a new thing where I tell you, um, when I watch the episode, I usually have a little snacky poo, uh, <laughs> I don't know why I want to call it snacky poo, <laughs> but uh, oh, I guess snack. And I've talked about singers. This time I had chocolate cookies with white chocolate chips, uh, and they were um, they've been in a plastic bag for maybe five days. They were great. So uh, that's what I was eating. I was kind of trying to cram them in during the uh, the whatever that spinning ball bump ba 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 thing. And I'm like, Mruva. so that's what I was eating, in case you were wondering. Because uh, I know I talked about those zingers at one time. Maybe I'll be a little thing we can share. Uh, by share, I mean tell you what I'm eating. That's not healthy, but sometimes I, you know, I really need it. Because it's by the time I get to watch, part of me, it's like, oh, no, we're not going to watch Game of Thrones again. Or you're not going to put me through. I'm, hey, how about we have some cookies? Oh, okay. 
And then you sit down and start watching it. And then you're like, oh, this is why I do a Game of Thrones podcast. Because it's wonderful. So we had the beautiful title. <laughs> what is Dead May Never Die. And let's see. Okay, let's get position here. And we start out Craster's Keep. And uh, it's a wait outside, Lord Commander. And then uh, John's like, you know, whoa. And he's like, you know, these wildlings, they serve crueler gods. Which makes me like, whoa, whoa what do you mean, the crueler gods? Oh, dear. Yeah, that, that, uh, I don't know. The idea of ser- serving a crueler god uh, creeps me out. And he's like, John, calm down. This is Lord Commander Mormon. You know, we got other wars to fight. Like it or not, we need men like Craster. And this kind of, you see Jon Snow's face. And you, you uh, again, I'm a big Jon Snow fan. Now, he's he's not in my best friend list because you know, I, don't, I don't know why. I, I mean, I'll probably, uh, probably maybe just too cool for me. And I'm not being, you know, I just think he's cool. But he just, this is a wonderful character that we're watching develop. And this is one time where he kind of gives him, gives Mormon a little bit of the stink eye. Not not stinky enough that he's going to get in trouble, but he's like, I don't know if I buy that, man. You know, I'm Ned Stark's son or half-son, whatever you wanted, however you roll it. And, you know, we believe in uh, some kind of honor. And where's the honor in dealing with this craster jerk? But that's the stuff that's unspoken. And then Sam, and then Sam's with Gilly. He gives her mother, his mother's keepsake, a thimble, I believe, to Gilly. I put thumb thing, but then I finally was, wait, what the hell is that thing called that protects your thumb? And, uh, you know, thumb, con- you know, knitting condom, whatever, you know, thimble, it hit me, thimble. And she said, you know, don't, I don't want you to give away your mother's stuff. He said, the beautiful, Sam's got these beautiful lines. He said, I'm not giving it away. I'm giving it to you, Gilly. And we get some Hodor action. Hodor, Hodor. You guys been using that? Hodor. <laughs> I seriously use it, especially on the weekends. You know, throw my dog. I'm like, whoa, door. I know we've talked about that, but it's fun. You know, somebody cuts you in line, say, ho, door. It'll help you from getting mad. Uh, somebody doesn't almost run you over, but nearly runs you over, which means I think almost is worse than nearly. You say, ho, door, ho, door. Maybe you'll calm down and not pull what I, you know, go crazy. But we get a ho, door. You got Bran, he's telling his dreams to the maester. Now he's dreaming of being a wolf and dragons and possession of animals. And the maester's like, dude, that stuff's gone. Dragons are gone. Magic's gone. And, and possessing animals. Because Bran, these are dreams. He's like, no, these are different, man. I know this is different. And he shows him, he's like, got this necklace. He's like, this is Valerian steel. It means I studied like these... Uh, the deeper mysteries or some something and he's like you know i you know you don't think i tried my hand in magic you know you know probably cook him up a little lady friend or something i don't know maybe maybe a, a hair tonic <laughs> i shouldn't be picking on maesters you know, but I, I don't see why they wear those chains because if a maester ticked me off i'd just grab him by his chain and shake him uh, but anyway and then we go to uh Renly's camp, where Loras is fighting this mysterious fighter, and they're having this great little battle. 
kind of like a name day celebration situation, and they're fighting. And then we meet Loris's sister, who was Renly's queen. And then we find out this uh, soldier that bests Loris is uh, Brienne of Tarth. Nice little reveal. And uh, we get this... Uh, uh, Brienne's a little bit cooler than Stannis, but she's still pretty um, uh, tightly wound, pretty serious, a serious uh, woman. But she signs up to be uh, part of uh, Renly's King's Guard. Then Cat shows up, Kat, Caitlin Stark. And uh, not, my, not always my most favorite person. She shows up, she's kind of like uh, Barbara Bad News or something. And she's like, well, these are the nights of summer. Winter's coming. What are you doing, Renly? Laura seems jealous. Then we got Theon wandering around his father's place, which he kind of looked like a kid, like, up late at night sneaking a snack in, like he knew there was something good in the fridge. And he's like, okay, it's three in the morning. Nobody's going to hear me. I'm going to get into this fridge. I know there was all those mozzarella sticks from my dad's party last night. And I'm going to eat all the mozzarella sticks and go back to bed. And then he gets caught by his sister, who sneaks up on him. He's like, why didn't you tell me? You know, because he was uh, perved out on his sister when he didn't know it was his sister. And she says, well, I wanted to see who you really were. She got a taste of that. And then dad, the dad comes in. He's like, busted. You're not getting the mozzarella sticks. And he says, you know, they're trying to talk about how to deal with this Rob war situation. And the dad, clearly his dad is... Uh, a lunatic, and he's like, "Well, we're gonna iron, we're gonna ironborn, we're gonna pillage the north while Rob's fighting this war." And uh, he says, "The rest shall be ours: forest, field, and hall." I just like how he said, that. "Forest, field, and hall." Very eloquent for a, a nut job. And then they're like, "You know," see at the end, like, "Well, what am I gonna be doing?" They're like, "Fighting fishermen." And this sister gets in a little less. So, yeah, we're going to put you on the sea bitch, Theon, which I just don't like. They're really mean to him, I guess. He's he's uppity, but uh, so are the rest of the Starks until they've had their comeuppances. And then he says, you know, Theon, what are our words? He says, we do not show so. And the father's like, right, we take what what is ours. And this is this actor that plays Theon, Alfie Allen. He just does a wonderful job. This is one of these scenes where he really gets to shine. He says, you gave away your boy, your last boy, like a dog. And now you curse me because I've come back home. And he says it in such a heartbreaking way. And you, you really get the sense this kid, this Theon, is like, a, he really is like in a Charlie Brown, uh, Charlie Brown in a fantasy world in the you know, worst possible way. Maybe Ziggy. I guess Ziggy would be more. So Ziggy doesn't really resonate. I don't even know if I'm using it correctly. But you know what I mean. Like this total, like he's just a total, he can't do anything right. And nobody really likes him. And when he tries to be likable, he really comes across as dislikable. So you kind of feel for him. And then uh, sooner or later, let's see. Yeah, you kind of feel for him, or at least I do. Then we have Tyrion and Shay. And Tyrion's kind of studying something, and Shay's talking. He's like, keep your voice down. And he's like, you know, we, we got to get you a job, you know, because you're not supposed to be here. We'll have you in the kitchen. She says, every man that's tasted my cooking has told me what a great whore I was. 
He says, well, you're not going to be cooking. You're going to be a skull, skull, scullion or something. And she's like, what's that? He's like a kitchen wench. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. And he's like, well, my sister, she's, she's going to want to, she's want to hurt me. She wants power over me. And you're a weakness. And he's like, don't worry, that's a compliment. She's like, how is being a weakness a compliment? And then we have this little eating moment with Circe, Mycela, Sansa, and Tommen. And it's chilling. Kind of reminds me of uh, one of those movies with, uh, like, what was that movie called? Flowers in the Attic, maybe? Uh, you know, a, a movie with a crazed um, stepmother-type situation, except that uh, Cersei is just unbelievably beautiful and attractive and, and smart and uh, pretty and lovely and scarily cruel. But they're trying to eat, and you can tell she's... And uh, she's just exerting her power. She's questioning the kids. They're like, well, what? You know, I like Sansa. I like Rob. I don't want this war, Mommy. Mom, oh, Mommy. And she's like, uh, you know, Sansa will do her duty no matter what. Won't you, Sansa? Or she says, uh, won't you, little dove? And, uh, yeah, disturbing, disturbing behavior. And then we get uh, back to Sansa's room, and she meets her new handmaiden, Shay. And Shay's about the worst handmaiden. She's like eating a snack while doing stuff. And then Sansa's pulling a Stark, getting real mean and uppity and being like, what are you doing? This isn't how you be a handmaiden. And then there's this hilarious Lady Zuraf. She's like, who did you work for before this? She's like, Lady Zuraf. Lady Zuraf? Yeah, Lady Zuraf. Oh, I could say Lady Zuraf. I just think that, I don't know. That's comedy gold. <laughs> then we have Tyrion with the... Uh, Maester, uh, whatever, Maester jerk face. Just like I said, the podcast, if you want to complain about the podcast, just say, hey, we hate your podcast, jerk breath. But this is Maester jerk breath. And Tyrion's like, hey, I'm constipated. He uses a great word, insalubrious. I loved that word. And then Tyrion's like, can I trust you, Pycelle? Oh, of course, of course. This guy's the most bumbling bumbler. And, uh, he says, you can't tell the queen. He's like, I'll be as quiet as the grave, you know, your grace or whatever he calls him. And he says, well, we're going to send my, my cellar to Dorne to marry the, somebody there so she'll be safe there. And, you know, we'll make a little treaty with the Dornish. And then we get a little scene with him telling the same thing to Varys. But he's saying, oh, we're going to marry her off to Theon Greyjoy. And Varys is like, I don't, I don't know if I buy this. Theon Greyjoy, that guy's a... Uh, you can say, uh, have you, are you familiar with Ziggy, Theon? Because he's like a Ziggy. Theon's like, what, Ziggy Stardust? Yeah, never mind, never mind. It's an old reference. Even Charlie Brown doesn't fit, but uh, anyway. And then there's a scene with Baelish and the, the uh, Tyrion. And he's like, yeah, we're going to send her to uh, Robin Aaron. And he's like, well, and he's like, I'm going to need you to be the uh, point man on that. And Baelish is like, there's nothing I like better than being the point man and some bad business, so you got it. But he's like, what's in it for me? He's like, Harrenhal. And Baelish is like, Harrenhal's cursed, dude. I don't want Harrenhal. Then we have Renly and Loras, and they're in like this little bit of a lover's quarrel. And they're like, wait a second, is this about, what's this about? Like, is this about, is he jealous of that uh, Brienne of Tarth? Or is he worried? And then he's like, uh, no, I need you to get my sister pregnant, buddy. You know, we need to seal the deal here, get her pregnant. 
And then his sister comes in, and she's unbelievably pleasant, but she's like, yeah, you know, let's get started here. You know, let's let's make some love. And uh, I was thinking in a non-perverted way, she was topless for a lot of that scene. I was like, that must be really hard acting without, like, naked because um, she was doing some serious acting there. So I, th- I think that's applause for that. Um, not like porn acting. She was doing, you know, Game of Thrones level acting. And she's like, you know, we, we, you know, she's just telling them, Renly, how to play this game, the Game of Thrones. She's like, I need to be pregnant. So we have this deal sealed between our families and it's going to make it easier. We want you to be king. You know, everybody likes Renly. And she's just trying to be supportive. She's like, I could bring my brother in here. I got nothing, you know, I just want, you know, this is a Game of Thrones. She doesn't say that, but you could tell this. she's a, a keen woman. But you also get the sense that they, at least you get the feeling that both her and Loras have Renly's best interests at heart, which is nice on the show to be like, okay, they seem genu- like genuine human, be- human beings. <laughs> For, you know, maybe, I don't know. And then we have Circe getting, speaking of human beings, we have Circe getting the news about Dorne, and she's so mad. And then she goes crazy on Tyrion, and she's like, you think that piece of paper father gave you keeps you safe? And she's throwing stuff around. She hits him. Then we get Theon burning a letter to Rob, and we're like, uh-oh, uh-oh that's trouble. And then we have this Theon sea baptism scene, which was Interesting. He goes, uh, born again from the sea as you are. Bless him with salt, stone, and steel. What is dead may never die. What is dead may never die. What is dead may never die, but rises again harder, stronger. I, I, I don't know. I just like that. It sounds cool. And then we got Baelish finding out about um, that. Uh, Tyrion was testing him, so he's kind of mad. He's like, don't play. You know, I'm a player, man. Don't play play with the player. And Tyrion's like, you know, calm down. I got, a, you know, I got another trick up my sleeve that I need your help with. And it involves Caitlyn Stark that I know you have a soft spot for. And Baelish is like, if he had a mustache, he would have been twisting it. You know, like one of those twisty mustache bad guys. Then we got Pycelle in bed. And Tyrion and Bronn and some uh, one of those moon moon guys or whatever show up, and then another com- more comedy. Tyrion gets like a cigar cutter or something. He's like cut off his manhood. And again, you got to watch this scene just for the acting of uh, Peter Dinklage here, because he says, "Yeah, cut off his manhood and feed it to the goats." And the and the uh, guy goes, uh, "There's no goats." If you could just see when he says, "Then improvise." Oh, he says, uh, well, make do. He says, well, make do. If you if you just watch that one scene, I wish you the body language, the face, you're just like watching a master at work here. Oh, it was great. Ugh. And then they cut the guy's beard off, which instead of his manhood, or maybe it is his manhood, I don't know. They cut his beard off, which is like, he's like, I'm always serving, I serve the Lannisters. And it's like, yeah, which Lannister, buddy? And then we have Varys and Tyrion talking about his play against Cersei and his plans and the things with Shay. And uh, Varys is like, well played, my hand. He says, uh, 
And then Varys, he always gets the, the he gets some great stuff. He says, uh, "Well played, my lord." Hand power is a curious thing, my lord. Are you fond of riddles? Tyrion's like, eh, I'm not too. He's like, three great men are in a room: a king, a priest, and a rich man, and a cell sword. Who lives? Who dies? And then Tyrion says, "I decided I don't like riddles. Power rests where mem." Power resides where men believe it resides. It's a trick, a shadow on a wall. And a very small man can cast a very large shadow. Which you get this wonderful interactions between these two. And you, it seems like they genuinely like and care for each other. But then it's like, you know, with all the gamesmanship going on, it's like, oh, well, what is this? But... Delightful to see those two in a room acting together. And then we have Arya sharpening her sword, and Yorn comes in. He's like, why don't you sleep? She's like, I'm sharpening my sword, dude. What do you think? And I've been traumatized by a lot of stuff that's been going on, so I can't sleep. He's like, drink some wine. You know, what are you, 11? Have some wine. (laughs) And she's like, you know, I don't like the taste of it. Plus, I'm 11. I don't want to damage my whole... You know, I've been damaged enough. He's like, well, it's, you don't drink it for the taste. And she says, well, well, you've probably seen some pretty crazy stuff. Like, how do you sleep at night? And then Yorin tells this tale of his brother who was uh, killed by this man named Willem. And uh, Yorin says, you know what? After all this time, I, I can't remember my brother's face. But Willem, he says, he was this fancy, good-looking boy. He says, you know, I would say his name at night before bed, like almost as a prayer. And then, you know, until he, he, he wreaks his vengeance and uh, Sirius, or, uh, Arya gets this look in her eyes. She's like, okay, I can relate to that, you know. And then we see her horns and these Lannister men show up and they take Yorin out and they start, they, they arrest all the kids. But Arya does like, uh, she helps Gendry get safe. By, you know, covering for him. And she also sets, like, those, she gives the dudes that are in that cage, she sets them loose or gives them a a hatchet. And then that's the end of the episode, folks. So what are we going to talk about tonight? Tonight, what we're going to talk about, hopefully, is uh, Thumb thumb Thing uh, Thimbles, Teen Wolf we're going to talk about, Amish Beards getting cut off, We'll have a visit, hopefully, for, ideally from Sir Pounce, and we'll have some prayers. Glad you're here, and I hope I help you fall asleep. Okay, so one of the things was like Bran turning into this wolf made me think of a teen wolf for some reason. Um, probably because uh, because there's some I don't know some crazy about my brain. And but the, I was thinking I know there's the TV show Teen Wolf, which I haven't seen any episodes of. But I hear great things about. So, if you're a Teen Wolf fan, let me know. And I don't know when I'd find the time to watch the show. But if enough people say they like it, I will. But I wanted to um, take you back in time, back to the future, a little bit, uh, to 1985, August 28th. This is from the uh, Sun Sentinel, uh, August 28th, 1985. Just a little clip here. Michael J. Fox, star of television's Family Ties, was the weekend's top draw on the big screen, appearing both as the time traveler in Back to the Future and a hairy hot shot in Teen Wolf. 
Universal's Back to the Future grows $6.8 million to take the number one position at the box office and raise its eight-week total melt to $119 million. Teen Wolf, newly, newly released by Atlantic, found its way into second place with a gross of $6.1 million. Fox stars as a high school nerd who discovers he's a werewolf with an unusual talent for basketball. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but listen, just keep listening to the friggin' movies that were in the theater at this time. Pee-wee's Big Adventure hung on at number three, gathering $4 million to raise its five-week total to $19.8 million. Okay, so we already have Back to the Future, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, then you got Teen Wolf, TriStar Volunteers, Tristar's volunteers jumped from second, tumbled from second place to fourth. I don't, I'm not familiar with that. Year of the Dragon retained fifth place, followed by Return of the Living Dead and Summer Rental with 2.3 million. Here are the top seven films at the box office. Oh, I think we covered them all. Um, interesting. Uh, Year of the Dragon. I'd have to look up. I don't think that's. I think that's like a. a I don't think it's a Bruce Lee movie. I think. Enter the Dragon was Bruce Lee. I have to look that up. But uh, Summer Rental was John Candy and uh, somebody else at a summer house comedy. So that's that's uh, August, the end of August 1985. But what's this Teen Wolf movie? If you haven't seen it, this is from Wikipedia. Teen Wolf is a 1985 American co- fantasy comedy film released by Atlantic Releasing Corporation with Michael J. Fox's Scott Howard, a high school student who discovers that his family has an unusual pedigree when he finds himself transforming into a werewolf. The film was directed by Rod Daniel, based on a script co-written by Jeff Loeb and Matthew Weissman. I'm not going to go through the plot, uh, the cast, production. Teen Wolf was one of the first scripts written by Loeb. Loeb was hired to write it because the studio... After the surprising success of the film Valley Girl, wanted to make a comedy that would cost almost nothing, cost about a million dollars, and take very little time to film. The project came together when Michael J. Fox accepted the lead role. Meredith Baxter Bernie became pregnant, causing a delay in filming Family Ties. That allowed Fox to film time to f- complete filming and then return to his TV show. The beaver mascot used in the film was Oregon State University's beaver logo in use by the university at that time. Release. It was released on August 23, 1985, to viewed number two behind Back to the Future. After its initial run, the film grossed $33 million domestically, with a worldwide gross of $80 million. Critical response. The film was a modest hit. A modest hit. It cost like a million bucks and made eighty. The film's critical reception was at best mixed. Um, you know, critics complained, whatever. Home video was first released as a double feature on DVD in 2002. There was a sequel, and then there's that show. Let me see what else I can find about it. You know, there's uh, two other things about it, or two things about it. One is that two of the supporting characters, I guess three of them uh, that stuck out to me, was uh, Lewis, who was kind of the nerdier, quieter friend of Scott, Michael J. Fox. He's played by Matt. Adler. And then there was also like the love, it had a little bit of the best friend love triangle thing. So 
Michael J. Fox had this really cute best friend that was a girl that he'd been friends with since she was little, and she's in love with him, of course, but he doesn't see how beautiful she is because he's in love with this, uh, you know, the lead lead cheerleader. And we'll get into that a little bit more in a second. But then he had this best friend who was the friggin' coolest person ever. His name was Styles. So first of all, first of all, with the name Styles, you can't go wrong. And the dude, he breaks the. Uh, you gotta see this movie just for Styles. He was played by Jerry Levine, who I, I just think the world of in this movie. But he, he's in a lot of other stuff. He's directed a lot of TV shows, and and I'm not. I know a lot of people think. Um. I don't know. I, I, they're better than uh, comedies. And now I'm I'm just talking about when I saw this movie at the time. Maybe I, if I want, and I've probably seen it probably when I was, you know, sp- probably smoking a lot of weed. I'll be honest with you. Back in the day, watched this movie a few more times and loved it. But I don't know. I haven't seen it lately. But, uh, I just have a soft spot for this movie and Styles in particular. I think he's cool. And then also, now, definitely, this is an adult podcast. I just talked about drug use. And now I'm going to talk about, uh, so the the, uh, the love interest in this movie is a, uh, um, so I guess she's got a Cersei archetype. She's this kind of mean cheerleader. That won't give uh, Michael J. Fox the time of day, which, of course, that immediately turned me on like a lunatic as a, as a young male. And I got to tell you, like, this is, you know, one of my first formative uh, <laughs> experiences, I don't even know, was uh, the scene in this movie where uh, there's no actual sex or nudity or anything. There's an allusion to it. But, I mean... It, it literally was one of those things that rocked my world. I think my heartbeat is increasing right now. And uh, I don't know what it was, but like freaking between that and then um, Christy Brinkley in uh, what was that? National Lampoon's Vacation, which I probably, that's probably older than this maybe, but uh, I don't know, man. I mean, this honesty factor, you know, unnecessary, you know, TMI. Well, I'm not telling you anything, you know, that's private. But it's just like, uh, as a kid, I would be like, well, wait a second, Teen Wolf's on? Okay, there's this, there's one part that's about four seconds long where there's, uh, you can't even be sure anything happens, but uh, he howls like a wolf. I think that's the trick is that she won't give him the time of day. Until he became, you know, becomes a wolf. Um, and then she, like, likes him, but only because he's the, the hip thing or something. So uh, I'm going to see where we could stream this movie. I don't know if this will be our movie club movie because it could not, it might not hold up at all. But if you haven't seen it, you should check it out for Styles. If you want to laugh at me, you could see what this formative thing is because it's probably not that great. Um, but I'm literally, in my head, I'm swooning right now. And, yeah, because if you want to know the key to my heart, it's being uh, mean and uh, distant and not giving me the time. Maiden, yeah, maybe that was the maiden on earth, I guess, huh? Yeah, that's interesting. So that's uh, Teen Wolf and hope maybe someday, you know, because Bran Bran and this wolf might, might have more friendship. Maybe we can fold the TV show Teen Wolf into it at some point. But Styles, thank you. And uh, mean 
cheerleading girl. Thank you. And also Boof. That was his best friend. Yeah, Boof was played by Susan Rossitti. And uh, Pamela, the cheerleader, was played by Lori Griffith. Griffin. Lori Griffin. So that's uh, Teen Wolf. And that's it. Yeah. So uh, one one other thing that stuck out is when Tyrion was dealing with that maester, uh, um, Pycelle, uh, Jack, 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 what I say to make fun of the podcast? Call me uh, Jerk Breath, uh, Jerk Breath. Um, they say, oh, well, it's cut off his manhood, and then they have him cutting off his beard. And that immediately reminded me of his old news story. Well, not old, like 2000. I was like, well, I looked it up, but I was like, when was that? The whole Amish beard cutting thing. And that was one of those stories, at least to me. I don't know how anybody else felt about it. And if you're Amish, I'm not here to make fun of your faith or whatever. This could happen in any, geez, way more bizarre stuff happens all the time. And But so there was this whole incident with this guy and his crew of toughs going around cutting off other Amish people's beards because they uh, disagreed with him or something. I couldn't remember. At first I thought he was a gangster and he was like – he was like some some Amish underworld. Now, any – I know there's a book about it, the real part, but any – if you happen to be some movie producer and you're listening to this, which probably not, but I would have loved to – why – this could be a great movie. Now, you could say it's been done and – Probably the uh, Coen brothers have done the closest version of this, which could be any Coen. Uh, but maybe the Coen, anybody, if anybody has a Coen brothers number, get a hold of them. Say, hey, what do you think about this? I think we could do a non-satire version of this whole beard cutting thing, you know, fictionalized maybe. And also uh, Big Love had some aspects of it, but I don't know. Anyway, let's get to the truth because that's the thing we're here for. So I looked it up to refresh my memory. First article I found was from October 19th, 2011. It was over at NPR. And I think it's also a, a audio story called, it's from uh, Barbara Bradley Haggerty. And this might've been the story that triggered it for me because I remember I was driving from the Bay Area to Monterey for something for work. And I remember hearing it on the radio. Uh, but let's go through this article. It's titled Amish Reel from Bizarre Beard Cutting Attacks. On the night of October 4th, Myron and Arlene Miller were asleep in their home in Mechanicstown, Ohio, when they heard a knock at the door. When Myron came downstairs, there was five guys on a step. Stuff happened and his beard got cut off in an unpleasant way. And the, t- the guys took off. Myron Miller Back to the article, who declined an interview, was left with a ragged beard. Ragged beard, Shameful state for an Amish man. The beard for an Amish man is a symbol of their adult manhood, says Donald Craybill, a sociologist at Elizabethtown College and author of several books about the Amish, including Amish Grace and a concise encyclopedia of Amish brethren, Hutterites, and Mennonites. Craybill says the beard... Beards are also sacred for Amish men who follow the Old Testament instructions to let their beards grow out. See uh, some Bible passages that hopefully we'll have time to visit here. So to cut 
Their beard is an assault not only on their personal identity, but on their religious identity and their religious faith, Craybill says. Attacks target opponents of group leader. Authorities believe that this was the fourth such attack by followers of Sam Mullet, and that's for real. It's actually Sam Mullet Sr., I believe, who heads a community of about 120 people in a rural area outside of Bergholtz, Ohio. Five members of the reclusive Amish group have been charged with uh, various crimes in a series of bizarre attacks. Beard attacks, basically. Victims have all been Amish leaders who have spoken out against Mullet or or those who have fled Mullet's group. Mullet was raised Amish, claims to be a bishop or a leader. But Comer says Mullet exhibits none of the typical Amish traits such as humility and gentleness. He's really set himself up almost as a god, Comer says. Comer knows Mullet because he has often driven him to appointments. Who's this Comer guy? I don't see a... Is that the guy that wrote the book? No, that's Craybill. Apologize, I don't see. Anyway, that's not important. He knows uh, Mullet because he's driven him to appointments. Amish frequently hire English, non-Amish people as taxi drivers. Comer remembers thinking something was amiss when he drove Mullet and about 15 other men and women to Mullet's chiropractor. Comer, okay. <laughs> Oh, boy, truth is stranger than fiction. This guy's trying to say it was just a little bit strange. Okay. Comer, who speaks German, how do you drive 15 people anywhere? They're not even one of those extended vans will fit 15 people. And to one chiropractor? Comer, who speaks German, overheard a conversation between one young woman and the 66-year-old leader. She said in Pennsylvania Dutch, which is a German dialect, Sam, who's going to see you tonight? And then the other women laughed and giggled, and I thought, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Is he having sex with these women? He doesn't fear anybody. That's in quotes. Comer says, okay, so there's a, this article's gone a little bit off track. It's starting to, okay, it goes into, like, different uh, accusations and that this guy Mullet is basically, allegedly, in these reports, a, nut, a crazy cult leader. And uh, he's not accountable to anyone. He's not in the fellowship with other Amish groups. He thinks he's invincible. This is according to Craybill, the uh, author of those books. So under the guise of religion, he's trying to protect himself to do whatever. So this must have been initial uh, reports of this. There's another really nice article over at Salon that I'll share. It was by uh, Laura Miller. That really digs into these attacks. We don't have time to read it, but end up this was like a, a hate crime was charged for these attacks. And um, I think initially they were convicted and then it was overturned. So it was a really in-depth, in-depth story here of, uh, I mean, of human drama, which is just wild. Uh, so you might want to read more about if uh, beard cutting interests you. But it, it, the base thing comes down to um, kind of making uh, – forcing a man, like taking away his manhood and making him subservient to you uh, symbolically but also uh, in this Amish faith uh, on, a, on almost like on a spiritual level saying it's just wild stuff. And the, the guy's name is Sam Mullet Sr., and I think they were calling them uh, – they were calling these guys the Bergholtz Barbers because they're from Bergholtz, Ohio. So there's that whole depth. But then, of course, there's also this biblical stuff. And there's nothing 
other than reading Shakespeare or maybe some other poetry, nothing can sometimes be more soothing or less soothing and, and when I do it than reading some biblical stuff. So I like went over to Bible. Well, I, when I Google Google this Bible up, it's usually at the top of the search engines. I don't know who runs it. But the three verses that were in uh, this NPR article, one was Leviticus 19.27. And uh, the, the, the verse from the NIV Bible, the New International Version, is do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard, which makes sense. But let's read it in context. That's what I like about uh, keep my decrees. It says, you shall not eat anything with the blood nor practice divina- divination or soothsaying. You shall not round off the side growth of your heads, nor harm the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuts in your bodies, nor make any tattoo marks on yourselves. So that's the uh, that's Leviticus. Then the uh, next one in there is Isaiah seven twenty. This again is from the NIV version. Uh, in that, that day, the Lord will use a razor hired from beyond the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria, to shave your heads in private parts and to cut off your beards also. Uh, in the context, judgment to come. They will all come and settle on the steep ravines, on the ledges of cliffs, on all the thorn bushes and on all the watering places. It sounds like they're talking about the uh, grasshopper guys. In that day, the Lord will shave with a razor hired from regions beyond the Euphrates, that is, with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the legs, and it will also remove the beard. Now in that day, a man may keep alive a heifer and a pair of sheep. So this one sounds like on some judgment day, some, I mean, I'm not, it's like somebody, there's going to be heavenly shavings, which... I would love to find out more about this. Um, then the last uh, one is uh, Jeremiah forty-eight thirty-seven, again from the NIV. Every head is shaved and every beard cut off. Every hand is slashed and every waist covered with sackcloth. Context, the judgment on Moab. Therefore, my heart wails for Moab like flutes. My heart also wails like flutes for the men of Kahiris. Therefore, they have lost the abundance it produced. For every head is bald and every beard cut short. There are gashes on all the hands and sackcloth on the loins. On all the ho- on all the housetops of Mo- on all the housetops of Moab and in the streets, there is lamentation everywhere. For I have broken Moab like an undesirable. Uh, for I have broken Moab like an undesirable vessel, declares the Lord. Very interesting stuff. Uh, Wow. And so I can see, so that's just a micro slice of the context of this beard stuff. Really, this is not uh, a uh, good, you know, place to put anything in context, but uh, interesting and uh, hopefully boring in some sense because I just keep droning on and on about it. Uh, but just it's just it's wild the stuff you can. And this was a big event, so this stuck out to people. But just these little things you come across. Last week we had this wonderful young woman challenging the 
um, prevailing convention that you can only fold a piece of paper seven times, Brittany. She said, shut the fuck up. I'll, you know, and not just like in a rebellious way. She said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to develop some formulas here because I don't buy it. Like maybe what if, you know, what if, and she figured out you could fold gold. And then her teacher's like, don't use, if you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. And then we got this guy, uh, mullet. I mean, just boom, that's, and then he's got this, uh, crazed sect going of, uh, like a sub Amish break off group or something. And he's, you know, going after people to cut off their beards. Now, I'll be honest with you. My fantasy fiction brain is already like, I would like to get Brittany and an army of uh, some sort of powered, um, I don't know, Brittany could come up with her. I'm sure she could come up with some kind of army. It may, she seems more like a protector or a questioner than an enforcer or a vengeance maker. Uh, so maybe she could put a stop to this nonsense. If anybody is going to put a stop to it, it might be she might be like, "Hey, you know what? What? Why? Why cutting guys' beards off? Why are you getting so mad? Let's let's settle this kind. Let, let me let's um let me let me tell you about a little uh, equation I learned called human kindness and uh, smiling. And maybe you know if you do a little bit of that, you know it's called the uh, joy germ. I told you guys about it a long time ago. Joy germ Joan." Uh, as a memory, one of those memories that's in my head that I don't have understanding of, but uh, whew, I, we don't have time for this. But So remind me to tell you guys about the Joy Germ Jones story if I haven't told you about it. Um, but yeah, well, hopefully, Brittany, if you hear from us, you're the podcast hero. So maybe you could sort out this beard mess. I mean, it sounds like it's already sorted out. It was three years ago, but whatever. That's all I got. So Sam gave Gilly this little uh, family keepsake he had from his mother. And I'm pretty sure it was a thimble. I didn't double check on the internet. What did Sam give Gilly? Which would have came up with the answer. But instead, I was like, I'm pretty sure it's a thimble. Well, I said a thumb thing. I was like, that's one of those sewing thumb things. And I realized it's called a thimble. Now, just in case you have no idea what a thimble is, uh, this is from Wikipedia. Thimble is a small, hard, pitted cup worn for protection on the finger that pushes the needle in sewing. Usually thimbles with a closed top are used by dressmakers, but special thimbles with an opening at the end are used by tailors, as this allows them to manipulate the cloth more easily. Finger guards differ from tailors' thimbles in that they often have a top but are open on one side. Some finger guards... Some finger guards are a little more than a finger shield attached to a ring to maintain the guard in place. The old English word of pamel, the ancestor of thimble, is derived from the old English puma, ancestor of our word thumb. Hmm, I don't know. A single steel needle from the time of the Han Dynasty in ancient China, 206 B.C. to 202 A.D., was found in a tomb in Jiangling, and it could conceivably be assumed that thimbles were in use at this time, although no thimble seems to have been discovered with the needle. Which that's an interesting um, connection to make, because, yeah, if you have a, a needle, you're going to be poking yourself in the thumb. I think that's the logic there. The earliest known thimble 
in the form of a simple ring dates back to the Han Dynasty of ancient China also and was discovered during the Cultural Revolution of the People's Republic of China in a lesser dignitary's tomb. Oddly, neither the Romans nor the Greeks before them appeared to have used metal thimbles. It may have been leather or cloth finger guards, proved sufficiently robust for their purposes. Maybe their needles weren't as sharp. I don't know. Maybe they... Who knows? There are so-called Roman thimbles in museum collections, but the provenance of these metal thimbles is, in fact, not certain, and many have been removed from display. No well-documented archaeological data link... Uh, archaeological... No... Well-documented archaeological data link metal thimbles to any Roman site. According to the United Kingdom Detectors Find Database, thimbles dating to the 10th century have been found in England, and thimbles are in widespread use there by the 14th century. Although there are isolated examples of thimbles made of precious metals, Elizabeth I is said to have given one of her ladies-in-waiting a thimble set with precious stones. The vast majority of metal thimbles were made of brass. Medieval thimbles were either cast brass or made from hammered sheet. Early centers, early centers of thimble production were those places known for brass working, starting with Nuremberg in the 15th century and moving to Holland by the 17th. In 1693, a Dutch thimble manufacturer named John Lofting established a thimble manufacturer in Islington in London, England, expanding British thimble production to new heights. This seems like a British-focused thimble article here. He later moved his mill. You hear that, Miller? He's got a, a thimble mill. He later moved his mill to Buckinghamshire to take advantage of water-powered production, Miller resulting in a capacity to produce more than 2 million thimbles per year. By the end of the 18th century, thimble-making had moved to Birmingham or Birmingham, and shifted to the deep-drawing method of manufacture, which alternated hammering of sheet metals with annealing, annealing and produced a thinner-skinned thimble with a taller shape. At the same time, cheaper sources of silver from the Americas made silver thimbles a popular item for the first time. It looked like Sam's thimble might have been made of um, some sort of, uh, what do you call it? It's not glass, but uh, oh, I don't know what the hell it's called. But thimble, Thimbles are usually made from metal, leather, rubber, and wood, or even glass or china. And that's what I was thinking of, china. Or... Early thimbles were also made from whalebone, horn, or ivory. Could be horn or china. Hopefully not ivory, Sam. Natural sources were utilized, such as marble, bog oak, and mother of pearl. Rarer works from thimble makers include utilized diamonds, sapphires, or rubies. Advanced thimble makers enhance enhanced thimbles with semi-precious stones to adorn the apex or outer rim. Cabochon adornments are sometimes made of cinnabar, agate, moonstone, or amber. Thimble artists would also utilize enameling or the gouloche techniques designed by Peter Carl Fabergé of, Fabre, I think, Fabergé egg fame. Originally, thimbles were so, simply used solely for pushing a needle through fabric or leather as it was being sewn. Since then, however, they gained many other uses. From the 16th century onwards, silver thimbles were regarded as an ideal gift for ladies. Early 
Messian porcelain and elaborate decorated gold thimbles were also given as keepsakes. There we go. Because Sam was treating it more like a keepsake and were usually quite unsuitable for sewing. This tradition continued to the present day. In the early modern period, thimbles were used to measure spirits and gunpowder, which brought rise to the phrase just a thimbleful. Prostitutes often used them in the practice of thimble knocking, where they would tap on a window to announce their presence. Hey, Roz, you need a, a thimble? Thimble knocking also refers to the practice of Victorian schoolmistresses who would tap on the heads of unruly pupils with dame's thimbles. <laughs> oh, man. It doesn't get better than this. This is These are the things I love learning. Oh, I love this po- doing this podcast. Before the 18th century, the small dimples on the outside of the thimble were made by hand punching, but in the middle of that century, a machine was invented to do the job. If one finds a thimble within a regular pattern of dimples, it was likely made before the 1850s. Another consequence of the mechanization of thimble production is that the shape and thickness of the metal has changed. Early thimbles tend to be quite thick and have a pronounced dome on the top. The metal on the latter ones is thinner and the top flatter. Collecting thimbles became popular in the UK when many companies made special thimbles to commemorate the great expedition held in the Crystal Palace in Hyde Park, London. In the 19th century, many thimbles were made from silver. However, it was found that silver was too soft a metal and can easily be punctured by most needles. Wow. Charles Homer, no, Charles Horner, excuse me, sir. Charles Horner solved the problem by creating thimbles consisting of a steel core covered inside and out by silver so that they retained their aesthetics but were now more practical and durable. He called this thimble his thimble the Doricas, and these are now popular with collectors. There's a small display of his work in the Bankfield Museum in Halifax, England. Early American thimbles were made of whalebone or tooth, featuring miniature scrimshaw, and we're animals here in America, featuring miniature scrimshaw designs considered valuable collectibles. Uh, Don't collect stuff made from scrimshaw, please. Don't encourage this. Well, I guess it's already done, but I don't know. Maybe I should just keep my mouth shut. Such rare symbols are prominently featured in a number of New England whaling museums, and that's where it belongs, in a museum. During the First World War, silver thimbles were collected from those who had nothing to give by the British government and melted down to buy hospital equipment. Wow, how generous. Now that reminds me of Sam's generosity. In the 1930s and 40s, glass top symbols were used for advertising. Leaving a sandalwood thimble in a fabric store was a common practice for keeping moths away. Thimbles have also been used as love tokens to commemorate important events. I don't know what that... Uh... And then here's... This is gold here. People who collect thimbles are known as digital... Digital... digital Bullists. Bullists. Digital bullists. Wow, we got to... Somebody remind me to we'll work that in. That's a beautiful word if I can ever pronounce it. Digital bullists. One superstition about thimbles says if you have... Three thimbles given to you. You will never be married. Oh, Sam, what's your, uh, what, you know, we need to talk about what your plans are for this gilly, this young gilly woman. And is she married to Craster? Because um, that would be a second marriage. Well, we'll talk about it.
Okay, but more interesting than that was I reached out to our glittering researcher, Stacy. I said, okay, so the thimbles are ancient. I, I had that sense. I didn't know much else about them. And I was like, hey, what? I know I remember some, I've seen rubber, I think I saw a rubber thimble, maybe. So I reached out to Stacy. I said, what's uh, some improvements made on the thimble? And she got, she dug into the patents. That's why she glitters in research. And here's uh, Stacy's research here. Here's some patents that describe improvements made to the thimble. Here's a uh, publication number US 4127222A. Publication date is uh, November 18th, 1978. No, I'm sorry, November 28th, 1978. So we're coming up on an anniversary of that. Sewing thimble. An improved sewing thimble having an elongated tubular body consisting of pliable material such as rubber, wherein a plural, plural, plurality of vent holes are disposed of about the annular body portion the inner bore thereof being designed to conform to the average finger, including those having extended fingernails. The forward head portion of the thimble is enlarged with a thickened area of hard rubber or plastic to allow for forceful engagement with the needle to be threaded. Alternative arrangements include a protective shield embedded with the head portion and a threading and cutting device mounted to the thimble at the tip of the enlarged head thereof. Now, if that's not boring, let's keep it going. This is beautiful research. Thank you, Stacy. Here's a uh, publication number US 4239134A. This is poem publication date, December 16th, 1980. Flexible thimble. A new and improved thimble for sewing, particularly a thimble of flexible material, which allows the thimble to conform to the finger for fit and comfort. Provides a supple surface, Ooh, sexy, sexy, uh, to allow the user to actually feel the needle. And provides a protective means located near the closed end of a thimble for covering part of the normal fingertip and fingertip area to protect the finger from penetration of sharp objects. Oh boy, at least it didn't say blunt objects. Uh, publication number US 494. 4437A, July 31st, 1990. So now we're into the 90s here, and we're still working on, you know, thimble inventors, thimble digibulists or whatever, digitabulists. We got these thimble, you know, somewhere there's scientists working on the thimble, maybe still. Okay, so this is a 1990 sewing thimble, a two-sided thimble, including an elastic fitting member and a hand pull flap. A first envelope surface permits, permits fine needlework and a second surface, including a contained rigid protective member. <laughs> Man, rigid members. What's up with this thimble? Uh, facilitates heavy-duty needlework. I'm not making this stuff up here. In an alternative construction, each surface may accommodate either heavy or fine needlework. But we're not fit, uh, uh, finished here because we still have one more. Publication number US 5954245A. Publication date September 21st, 1999. So these symbol guys, they were like, okay, this is it, man. Let's get this one into the wire in case this Y2K 
you know, we're going to need, if Y2K happened, you'd need them good thimbles because robotics and stuff wouldn't have worked. Okay, let's do this. Uh, a needlework thimble comprising a shell to receive and encircle the finger of the user. The shell includes a pocket for receiving a supply of beeswax, which lightly coats the thread during the sewing process to strengthen the thread and stabilize it against tangling and knotting. An elastic band is attached to an open end of the shell to secure the shell to the user's finger. And that is uh, the patents related to the thimble. Thank you, glittering researcher Stacy. Thank you, God. Thank you, thimbles. Thank you, Sam, for being so generous. And thanks to those people during the WW1 that had their family thimbles melted down to support, you know, the whole military-industrial complex and whatever. But uh, great, great stuff. Who would have thought we'd hear... You know, the two of us talking thimbles. I didn't think about, I didn't think there would come a day. And I, I do remember, I just remember that rubbery thimble. My mom did a little bit of sewing. I, again, I get mixed up when it comes to sewing, crocheting, stitching, and all that. But she, I think we had thimbles around my house when I was little. I'm, I'm pretty sure. And I probably lost most of them. But that's it. That's thimbles. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, this is Sir Tommen, Lord Tommen, your friend Tommen coming to you live from Tommen's room where I've been locked for four days, where I've been locked for four days because mother said I'm not to scream like a little girl at the table when she talks of beheading Rob Stark and that I'm a traitor to my family and that I should be sent to the wall to be one of those guys that has to work. It's so cold up there. I don't want to be there. But, but the good news is, my best friend, the best friend a boy has ever had is here, and his name is Brave, the bravest cat who's ever lived, the cat who put braveness in bravery, Sepounce. The cat that has dreamed only of being himself and nothing else, because it, what more could a cat be than a best friend to a boy named Tommen? And, you know, a legend, a brave, brave legend, who does things and travels the world and has adventures. And is so full of courage that fear knows what fear is only because of Sir Pounce. Otherwise, fear would say, I don't know who I am. I have no idea who I am. Staring in the mirror, wondering who I am is fear. Feeling alone and, un you know, just why doesn't somebody say, hey, what's with the frowny face? And, you know, the one person that does. Mother calls little dove, and I know what she means when she says it. Because there was one time where, on my name day, I got a dove. And then there was some things happened. And Mother said, do you really want me to give you this dove, Tommy? Uh, and it crunch, crunch. Oh, it was so, so fear, as it stares in the mirror, 
and cries and cries and cries, hoping that someone will hear it crying and come. But Sir Pounce came and said, Hey, fear, I'm Sir Pounce, and, uh, you know, I'm going to bounce about. And, you, you know, come on, buddy, let's uh, scratch me right there in that area near my neck. And, well, oh, don't poke me there, that bothers me, and I'll claw and bite you. So uh, we were last left off with the tale of Brave Sir Pounce and the Quest 08. And we're somewhere in that quest late, in the late middle of the quest, I believe. Sir Pounce has found himself south, so far south. He had never been so far south. And he crossed through these mountain passes and he got on a... Uh, got on a wagon and hit on the wagon and he fell asleep. And when he awoke, he was in this great city called the uh, Sun Sphere of some sun, sun sphere. The sun is a, a sun's a, is it a sphere? I forget from my lessons. But uh, they said, don't stare at the sun, Tom, and oh, what are you going to burn your eyes out? I just said, what does the sun, oh, the maester, I hate him too. And I don't think he wears anything under that robe either. I don't like that man one bit. But so Sir Pounce was in the south, and he started uh, going around this sun sphere, and he said everyone was giving him this eye, like, who are you? And he said he you know, looked up where the cats hang out, and he had some cat tufts, and they said, hey, you're not from around here, are you? Sir Pounce said, I'm not. What's it to you? And they said, well, we don't like you. We're Dornish cats. And we don't need any. Where, where are you from? And Sir Pounce said, well, well, currently or originally or like most recently. And the cat said, oh, we got ourselves a talker here. Let's show them how it's done and done. And Sir Pounce said, listen, guys, I'm not really here looking for trouble. And uh, if, you, if you're looking for trouble, you're going to get it. And you're going to get it in, in so many different ways. You're not going to know what hit you. But I'd just rather... You know, I just came to this town and I'm wandering. Let me tell you, I got this pirate I'm dealing with. The guy said, oh, you got a pirate. And these were younger cats. They were tusks, but they said, oh, pirate, huh? And Sir Pounce said, I'll tell you a tale of a pirate. So Sir Pounce told them them a whole tale. Uh, he said it was about the pirates that stole some bananas, which are these strange fruits Sir Pounce has told me about it before. And I don't, can't tell it, but it's a funny story. So I made all the other cats laugh like... Because there was bananas and the pirates are being chased and then the banana peels are very slippery. And so they make them slip on the bananas and fall down. Oh, and the, so Pounce of the cats laughed and said, man, we like you. We, you know, you're not half bad. Not like these other cats are rolling here. So Pounce said, well, I'm all bad, man. That's why. And the cats said, oh, man, you're cool. So Pounce said, that's well, Not as cool as the cats from the north. And Sir Pounce said, well, what, 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 you know, what do you do around here for uh, whisker popping? You know, I need to pie, you know, pl pluck some whiskers. And the cats, they looked at each other and they just laughed. And they said, well, that's not how it works in Dorn, buddy. We're, you know, we're, we're a society of equals here. The Dornish men and the Dornish women are all the same. And the same goes for the cats. Within the cat community, the humans don't treat us as equals. But we treat, you know, we treat each other as equals. Because you people, you just spend all your time working the angles and all that. And so Pounce said, 
Well, it sounds like a perfect world to me, because I believe in the power of equality. As long, you know, as you know, as long as people realize I'm a, you know, a cat used to certain standards. And the cat said, "Well, whatever, man. You know, don't lay it on us." Uh, so, so they said, uh, "You know, what, what you got to do is we strut up and down these docks, and the lady cats that are single and you know, uh, unattached and looking, you know, we we do that, and then uh, we don't have milk here in Dorney either." You look like a milk drinker. So, Pounce, I've been known to drink a, a saucer or two, but I could. What do you drink down here? And they say, we drink this tea uh, that's also, you know, has some nutrients. It's called chalk tea, but it, it, with a, not C H A L K, like chalk tea. And uh, we drink that. So, you go and you have some tea with a lady and you talk to her. And uh, so, Pounce, boys, you've never seen anybody talk like me, have you? I just told you a story. I cracked you. You were about to pounce on me and get your daylights knocked out by Sir Pounce. Because you don't pounce on Sir Pounce. And, you know, I don't even pounce on other cats except for, well. And so they went down to the docks and they strolled. And then people were like, look at this cat. What are you doing? You're not strolling. Sir Pounce said, this is called a strut. And Sir Pounce said, watch how it's done. And he walked up and down the Dornish docks deliriously, deliciously, and doubly, dangerously, and every D word you can think of, up and down these docks, dickety-dockety-dickety-dockety-dock, and uh, the cats, they couldn't believe their eyes, it was cats like, oh my, feigning, and uh, 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 none of them caught Sir Pounce's eye, and then Sir Pounce caught the uh, glimmer of sun off a golden-colored cat with giant red spots, and Sir Pounce said, excuse me, I was just strutting here like I own this place, and I know I don't. Uh, would you like to walk on the docks with me? And uh, the lady cat said, I would not. Sir Pounce said, well, that's your prerogative, and, uh, you know, this is my prerogative, doing what I want to do. This is my prerogative, just me and you. Would you like to be my prerogative? And uh, Kat said, I don't even know what that word is uh, or if you're using it properly or why you're using it in a some sort of beat-type situation. She said, I'm going to go down. I'm going to have a glass of chalk tea and milk at this underground uh, tea house if you'd like to join me. And uh, Sir Pound said, okay, I'll give you a little bit of conversation. She said, oh, no. We're going to sit there in silence. And if you can keep your mouth shut and your eyes off of this prize, you might have a chance to, uh, you know, see if these spots on me are actual spots or, you know, makeup type thing. And so Pounce said they went down there and they drank this tea and he said it must have had some caffeine because he never felt more like chattering in his life. And this lady cat was taking a bath and Sir Pounce said her hair was so fine, it was finer than Dornish wine. And But he was patient. Sir Pounce said he remembered one guy taught him to just breathe. Sir Pounce just breathed. And Sir Pounce said, you know, she couldn't, uh, she was faking it the whole time. She was like, this cat's going to break. He's going to be begging me for a kiss. And Sir Pounce said, then, you know, next thing you know, he was like, there's 
the whole city of Dorn was listening to two cats howling. And I said, what? So, Pounce, why were the cats howling? What? And he said, and then all the cats were howling. And then, uh, excuse, you know, excuse me, Tom, and I need to, uh, and, uh, and then Sir Pounce, you know, ran off. And uh, he, 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 one of the, um, one of the, uh, someone caught him with my pillow. So I no longer have pillows anymore in my room. But Sir Pounce, he, he likes to attack, uh, he, he attacks one of the chairs now, the uh, chair seats. And it's the one the maester sits in, so that's funny. So that's the tale of how Sir Pounce plucked of, I think, I don't know. Um, but again, I've been in my room now, and uh, I'll just be, uh, look, I'm going to go sit and look in the mirror and think of Sir Pounce. So thank you, this is Tommen, and thank you for your time. So Tommen and Sir Pounce checking out. Oh, uh, hey guys, it's me praying in, crone, sweet, lovely crone. So... So wise and knowing and and uh, that stuff, um, Miller, you know, toiling away in the mills of the universal existence. Smith forging away with the you, you know the cosmic stuff. Barky growing, sprouting, budding. Uh, also the other stuff, wintertime stuff, you know. Um, it's not hibernate. You go, the leaves fall off. I don't know. I forget the situating or something like that. The uh, situation, that stuff. Uh, gnarling. You do a, not gnarling. No, I don't know anything about knotting. What, what causes knots? Uh, is that a? Why does everybody complain about knots? What, what's up with woodworkers, Barky? Where do you fall on woodworkers? Um, all that jester joking around up there, kissing people, sleeping with them, you know, drinking wine off to probably doing some kind of like, um, uh, expensive wine drinking off of bodies and grape eating is typical, uh, with, with our work about your types, jester. Uh, I wonder if you still have your beard. But some people might not even know you have a beard. So I just wanted to say that. Well, guys, I'm back. You know, I was wondering if I was going to. I don't know what you guys thought about that whole thing last week where I got angry. Uh, you know, I didn't have. There was no. Uh, I, I heard some lightning, I think. Though that may have been in my dreams, too. But uh, so. Yeah, like uh, I've been. I, so I took the week to uh, stay calm and say, what, what's up with these gods? Uh, what, what should I do? Uh, am, am I, is it time, you know, is it time to go to war? If I have to go to war with the Westeros gods, you know, I got way out uh, George R. R. Martin, Weiss and Benioff, who are now like heroes to me. So that's, you guys that's one thing you guys got lucky. I mean, Jester, Smith, Barky, and Miller technically. Actually, the Crone's the only one that uh, um, probably would have been a problem if I took out. And she probably wouldn't. So I guess no one dodged it because I probably wouldn't have taken the Crone out because, uh, that you know, that, what if someone got that on tape, me taking out the Crone? There's no way 
I could spin it, you know, hey, what's it, what, you don't understand. She was a goddess. She robbed some apartments, and that's why I was screaming in her face and, you know, with the brimstone and the firing stuff, uh, you know, she was a battle between earth and he- the heavens. You know, you'll read about someday in some sort of, you know, big book of fantasy fiction, you know, the collision of 2014. They probably would have called it the cosmic blowout uh, when fantasy fiction crossed the line into uh, fantasy fornication, not a non-sexual manner, but if I knew... But anyway, guys, I'm just, you know, I'm beating around the bush, I guess, because I think, uh, you know, I think we're in a good spot because this whole, uh, I hate to waste my prayers talking to you guys without um, activity. But again, it was like this crossroads or split road, whatever, where I was like, which way do I go? Well, this I'll lay it out for you. Battle, you guys, uh, which... Maybe, no offense, but none of you, but Jester's the one I'm most scared. Well, Barky, I guess we talked about the battle. So that was, I was like, well, abandon you, turn my back on you guys, which I'm pretty good at that. I've turned my back on more than, well, I turned my back on my childhood faith. So, and I've turned my back on, um, you know, myself probably a few times. So, uh, and probably people, you know, made, Maiden turned her back on me, so I, I, so I was like, another option. You just passive aggressive activity, being like, "Hey, God, it's me." Uh, getting back to you, Crone. Whew, what'd you have for lunch? Garbage sandwich. Yeah, just praying in, you know, something like that. Which is not my. It is my style sometimes. But then I was like thinking about this polytheism. Now I don't know if you guys keep track of these. Um, um I, I don't know what's up with. Uh, Let's see. I don't know if you guys keep track of the or the trends in the big cities with, uh, but there's like this poly uh, amorous situation that you hear about, and then I was like, well, I got this polytheism going with what we got: one Crone Miller Smith, Barky, Jesser, five gods ish, maybe the maiden, uh, and then Barky. I don't know if you're one god or like forty bazillion. It, but you're the head man for the trees. Uh, so I was like, okay, well, you know, this is, this is a polythe- polytheistic relationship. Let me look at this like it's a relationship, two-way street, uh, maybe. And I was like, well, I guess you could see, you know, you hear about people. And when I say that, I mean imagining people. I don't know if I've actually ever talked to anybody that's actually polyamor in it. And uh, for me, I can barely handle uh, auto hammer. So, you know, to get into the poly or, you know, I'm not good at any of it. So, uh, but, so I was like, okay, well, you know, what are the, what what are the things? Okay, variety, you know, we get variety and then you get uh, more than one, like more, more love to go around might be the same. And I'm not being critical, gods. I, Maybe that's how you got to it. If I was a god, it'd be much easier to be in a polyamorous relationship because I'd be like, sorry, you know, I got to go. I'm a god. And I got to get back to the friggin', you know, I got to strike down some shepherds. 
and we got I got a whole uh, freaking um, crop to ruin over there, you know, across the narrow sea. So can't hang out. And uh, you could tell me that story about what your mom said to you on the phone later. No problem. I'll be here. And in some sense, I'm always here. So you could just tell me even when I'm not here, but I'd be better because for some reason I, it comes in real clear when you're, when you're just telling, you know, telling it to me in a prayer type format, man, you guys got it good. But, um, so the polyamorous thing and be like, okay, well, if someone's tired, maybe the other person's like, Hey, I can listen to you. Let's have some connection here. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, sex sex stuff probably is probably not as good as you'd imagine it, uh, but it probably has its benefits. You know, spice spice of life type thing. Not that crone don't get the wrong idea. I'm a maiden man, or you know, other people, but not no sex. Uh, Barky, same thing. That would be seriously. Uh, uh, no offense, Barky. I'm sure there's, I don't know what the tree, don't you guys just like, um, whatever you call it, bifurcate or something. Um, but anyway, my point was then I'm like, how lucky am I to have this poly amorous relationship with some gods? I mean, I got the crone. So when I'm, uh, needing a little Afghan snuggle action, with somebody with cold feet and that feels a little, you know, like I want to curl up with an Afghan and some paper, you know, I got the crone and I feel some bones poking into me and wheezing and white wisdom, you know, a percolation of endless wisdom. I got the crone. Miller, if I got some guy that's going to talk too much about work, yeah, it's like nobody appreciates me. That's you, of course. If I, you know, if I need someone to lay the burdens on me, you got the Miller. Also, Crone, you probably got the complaining part covered. Like the Miller probably just um, is, you know, more exhausted and where you've got the like, what is going on with those neighbors? Okay. And then Smith, you're probably like a coach type, uh, overbearing uh, type no, 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 this is how you, you know, so you got that down. And then Barky, you're definitely the silent god, I don't know, but that's all, that's handy. A lot of times, you know, you got to give me that silent look where I'm like, uh-oh, I know you know, you know. And then Jester, you know, you're the god that doesn't come to my graduation or pick me up, you know, say, oh, I'll be there at four, don't worry, little guy. And then six thirty, and the last person teacher of the school is like, "What's it, man? You know, no, no, he's coming to pick me up. He said he would." And then, boy, I'm locking the school up. What are you going to do? Sit in front of the school and wait for him? Oh yeah, yeah, I'll sit in front of the school and wait for. Him. Well, I don't know if I can let you do that. Why don't you just? I'll just give you a ride. No, 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 I have to wait. So you're that. So I'm like, man, how lucky am I to have all of you? Uh, so I can't quit you guys. You know. I can't just uh, abandon y'all. And maybe uh, considering I'm as far, you know, since that whole other movement we had where I was praising you guys and I had other people with the old severed souls situation. Though I don't think they quite understood about it that I was praising you guys because I was never 
I, I wasn't too clear. And then I got caught up in being a god myself. So, um, so I guess I'm not calling to apologize so much as say, uh, um, I guess I'm gratituding you up, gods, because I'm saying, well, you know, maybe these polyamorous people with more than one partner, I think it's usually three, but not always. And I don't think Sam would like it because he'd be like, hey, isn't that greedy? You know, so what's up? Uh, I got nobody. You know, I got this thimble. I'm giving it away. And you've got, you know, two husbands, two wives, three husbands, three wives, whatever it is. Uh, you know, it could be, it's, that's like a freaking setting up poetry now because you could have with the polyamorous, you could have A, B, B, A, 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 B, B. You know, you could see Z, you know, you probably have every letter. That's a wondrous thing about, uh, but again, God, so I'm getting off track here because I'm just imagining. Uh, and then, you know, you can't be an orgy if you're in a relationship, I don't think, either. Even if you have, like, some... But again, it'd be like, if you had really that many people, poly... Probably keep it simple. I don't know. I mean, I should have kept... Maybe... But it's like, I didn't keep it simple with you guys, you know. I said to the... You know, when I... Let me back you up to my whole faithness is I saw a crone up there and I saw her getting pushed around by the warrior, the father, the mother, and maiden, no offense, you're strutting your stuff. So I say, you know, what? I don't like the warrior. You know, he just seems, uh, you know, we've been through this. So I'd say, God, I guess I was praying uh, a prayer nonsense of uh, love for you, God's. Cause I'm, I guess I'm just here. I'm just lucky to be able to, you know, sit back, kick back here, think out loud, have you, you up there. Hopefully we've got past all the me mucking around in the Martin universe and so he doesn't get mad at me. I think we got all everything covered. We just got to track down these nonsense makers. But uh, that's it. I'm, I'm just proud to be your humble, you know, as usual. I came corrected. Uh, again, I don't I apologize because um, I'm not 100%. You know, I'm like 90, no, 70% with you guys. But uh, okay. So I'm glad to be, uh, uh, you know, in partnership with you in a non romantic, but in, um, you know, we're in, Sof what is it, Sophia? I what do we got? We don't have uh, agape. Is it agape we've got? Might be. Filio, not filio. Well, I think a couple of you might have filio with, but no, no more. Uh, maiden, you're an exception. But believe me, the clock has been ticking for like, what, two and a half seasons here. The, do uh, the door was, you know, just let's just... I Maiden, this is my pitch. You know, a couple episodes ago, I was pretty sure you liked me. Now I just want to say, let's just make out, see how it goes. We'll go, we could go on a date too, and then that's it. We'll just go our separate ways. If it doesn't, isn't the most, you know most unbelievable thing? Well, you know, I can't say that, but you know, I'm I could amuse you like uh, 
And, you know, we could be, you know, polyamorous. Me, you, Lysandra, Khaleesi might have, you know, just in case. Khaleesi, like I said, if she needs a distraction, like, uh, you know, we say, hey, Khaleesi, let's uh, poly polyamorize this situation. And then, Crone, don't, don't watch, okay? Because I don't want you to see me in that situation and lose respect for me. Okay, so that's it, guys. And Jester, don't watch either, please. Because I don't need you videotape it and put it on friggin' something. And it's like GIF and it's like you got some like music. You know, something like that. I don't know. All right, guys, that's it. Your humble servitude, gratitude in it, and praising it. Your names. Uh, what is dead may never die. Especially when it comes to you guys. Clearly, for the crone, it's true. So, uh, thank you for this opportunity in, um, you know, to be revising our relationship 